Welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome to the third episode of No Head, where we learn to live in the present moment. Truly excited about this show where we navigate life together. Thank you for your continued feedback, comments, encouragement that keeps me going. I'm really excited that you're here. My name is Dorothy Ooko. As is our practice, let's take a moment to fully arrive by doing a few breathing exercises. Did you know that a deeply relaxed person breathes around seven times a minute? When you slow down your breathing, you will automatically relax. So let's do it together. We will breathe in to a count of six, hold for a count of two, and then let the breath out slowly to a count of eight. So let's start breathing in. Hold, let it out slowly to a count of eight. Another set, breathing in. Hold, let it out slowly. Another set, breathing in. Hold, let it out slowly. And now let your breathing return to its normal rhythm, just letting your breath guide you. And you settle into the normal breathing. So now that we've fully arrived, now that we're in the present moment, let's get started. I'm super excited about our guest for this episode. I will be discussing with him about peace, joy, compassion, very timely in these times of the coronavirus. When I'm not doing my day job, which is communications, I facilitate a course at Google called Search Inside Yourself. And I travel to the various offices around the world facilitating. I've been doing this for the past six years. And this course was started by engineer called Meng. Meng is the founder of Search Inside Yourself. He's a writer, a thought leader, and a philanthropist. As I shared in the intro, when we started this program and I wanted to teach it, I really was looking forward to meeting the person who started this program. And when I met Meng, who I had read about and had seen in the front cover of the Financial Times, and when he came to the practicum, which we were doing then in the US, he just reached out and mentioned my two names from Kenya. I was blown away. He had taken time to go through all our names, 11 of us from different parts of the continents and known where we were from and just made it really personal for us. Much later, I also shared with him about wanting to bring this practice back home, back to the continent. And he was very supportive of the idea. However, the last thing I thought of then was actually having him as a guest on my podcast, which I hadn't even thought of then. And so I'm really, really thrilled that he accepted to do this interview with me for this podcast. Meng, welcome to know head where we learn to live in the present moment oh thank you so much for having me my friend and you have no idea how honored i am to be your friend oh thank you thank you so so much meng i'm so thrilled that you're here at my podcast because we had talked about how do how do i bring mindfulness to africa and you're very supportive but Little did we know that it would be in the form of a podcast where I would have you as my guest 
I'm really thrilled to have you. So tell us, everyone always asks about Search Inside Yourself. How did you come up with this? The name story is, is very short. Uh, as usual, like most things in my life, it started as a joke. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, so it's like mindfulness class. Talk about search inside. You know, everybody laugh. And then the the longer story of how I came up with the course. It started in 2003. I was uh, taking a walk outside the Google campus. So all three Google was, was was a small company. So when I say Google campus, it's just a small cluster of buildings. Right. So I was just taking a walk around it, and I had this moment like that kind of changed my life. There's a moment of clarity. Where I knew what I wanted to do for the rest of my life, and for the rest of my life, I wanted to create the conditions for world peace in my lifetime. And I knew the way I wanted to do that, which was to scale inner peace, inner joy, and compassion worldwide. So goodness. So the question is how, right? And uh, the way to do that, it took me a long time to figure it out. The way to do that is to align goodness, peace, joy, compassion with success and profits. Because if I were to go around the world spreading the good word of peace, joy, compassion, people will just applaud and then they go home and nothing changes. But mm-hmm. if I can find a way to align peace, joy, compassion with success and profits, because that's what people want, they want to be successful. They don't mind being happy. They don't mind world peace. <laughs> so that's the way I do that, right? Right. And so all I have to do is to make peace, joy, and compassion the unavoidable side effect of training to be successful. And so that's where I created the curriculum around it, and that's how Search Inside Yourself started. Right. And the uptake of it—it's one of the most popular classes, really, at Google that people really like. Do you feel that this message of peace is sinking in slowly? Maybe so. The reason. Oh, by the way, it's not just one of the most popular class. It was the most popular class. And I got a sense of how hard it was to get in because somebody scolded me because I did not know. So all I knew was if I put it online, the class is full in 30 seconds. And what I didn't know, somebody told me that people have the laptops open during uh, meetings, and if the class is open, somebody will just say in the meeting, say the class is open, and everybody know what they're talking about. <laughs> so they already sign in, and half the meeting room will not get in because. The class is full in 30 seconds. Right. So the question you ask is: Is peace sinking in? Right. I don't know. So I knew that in the beginning I was selling success because at first when I started teaching mindfulness in Google, there was no traction. And then when we try to do mindfulness-based stress reduction, there's a little bit more traction, but people like to say that they're stressed, right? They wear stress on their badge of honor. They're like, "Oh, I'm so stressed. I have no time to eat." And I was like, "How is that a good thing?" Right? But they brag about it. Right. So, and then when I do, okay, this class is about helping you to become successful, and then people sign up. But the word being spread wasn't that. The word being spread was that this class changed my life. So people they took my class, they tell other people, oh my God, I took this class called Search Inside Self, and it changed my life. Right. And then that attracted other people. So the question to me is, which one was attracted people more, the success component or the change my life component? And uh, the real the real answer is I don't know, but my suspicion is at the beginning was a success marketing message, but yeah. uh, as as time went on, it was that this changed my life thing, and therefore the answer to your question is I think peace is sinking in, but it's more of an inner peace right now than a world peace. Right, and so talking about selling success, and this practice of mindfulness. And science. How do you combine that? Because that's what 
I find people find fascinating the idea of you're telling me to breathe and you're selling the idea of success and at the same time you want to promote world peace and yes. at the same time you're talking to engineers people who want science to prove that this thing works how do you combine these three messages so i realized one thing i realized that some of my biggest flaws are my biggest strengths <laughs> so what are my flaws right i'm a skeptic right i don't like reading The thing about not liking reading, I realized that's why I'm a successful author, because I wrote a book that even I was willing to read, <laughs> and then I'm kind of stupid, so I explain things that even I will understand. So that's my weakness becoming my strength. And so about this science thing, because I'm skeptical, I would not take anything unless it's supported by science. So I'm not, in the sense, I'm not doing this for the audience. I'm doing this for me, and that turns out uh, just. Are doing for me uh, benefited the audience, and so if you ask me what are the factors of a success of search inside yourself, I think that there are three things. I mean, first is the obvious one is the efficacy, right? It works. <laughs> if it doesn't work, nothing else matters. Right. Uh, second thing I think is the two things that you identified. One of that is the science. So people come into the class. I don't know whether you have this experience. I had this experience when I started search inside yourself. It was a seven-week course. So the first week it was about the science, and the second week was the whole day of mindfulness, mindful eating, mindful sitting, mindful this, mindful that, mindful walking, and all that. Right. So my my challenge is that of the people who attend the first class, what percentage will come for the second class? Because at the end of first class, I tell them, okay, next week when you come back, it's a full day of mindfulness. And remember that half my class are engineers. Right. And some percentage of them think that it's the hippie bullshit. Some percentage of those tell me explicitly, this is all hippie bullshit. <laughs> I was like, then why are you here? <laughs> and and they're like, because because you're teaching it. Because it's like there's a cognitive dissonance, right? It's like, wait, this is hippie bullshit. Ming is teaching it, and Ming is kind of a good engineer, so right. they were curious to find out. So my question for myself: what percentage will come back? And my expectation was 50%. And to my surprise, the first time I did it, uh, 100% came back. The second time, 100%. Third time, 100%. And then the third time, by the third time, I realized this is no fluke. Right. And the reason it's no fluke is because by the end of the first class, they were convinced that this is not hippie bullshit. That there's science behind it. Right. And the other factor of success is again due to my weakness. It's the languaging. Right, the languaging there's a certain precision around it. So, for example, I never say something like you know, let's go deep into our emotions, <laughs> because if I do that, uh, the engineers will ask, what is deep and what is shallow and how do you quantify it. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I'm very precise. I say let's develop a high resolution perception into the process of emotion. Mm-hmm. And the reason I do that again, not for them, is for me because this is language that even I will understand. And actually, there's another factor, which is application. It's useful, and not just useful like efficacy-wise, but application-wise. Uh, what does that mean? So, for example, when we teach loving kindness, I mean, a good person like Dorothy yourself would know that loving kindness is good for your soul. <laughs> I don't even have to tell you, but for like most people, I have to tell them. It's good for you. So, and you can use this in meetings. You can help get your promotions. And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. This makes sense. Right. So it's useful for people who are normal people. And so these are the yeah, these are the reasons it's so successful. Right. 
I like that. It's good for normal people. I struggle with people when people say, people say, search inside yourself. You know, it means I have to look deep inside myself. What if I find something I don't like? And I with it. Uh, yeah, there's, there's who's afraid of looking inside themselves. There's a saying, right? Uh, I don't look inside myself because it's because my mind is a bad neighborhood. <laughs> I'm trying to avoid bad neighborhoods. <laughs> Uh, you, my, my dear friend, you touch into a very uh, important aspect of practice and I want to go into the bigger picture and then drill down to the smaller picture. Okay. The bigger picture, there is a quality in the old ancient text and I'm going to use a technical term in, in the Pali language and the term is uh, Samvega. So Samvega is the knowledge, the insight that a lot of things in this world that satisfy not a lot, everything that in this world that satisfy the senses don't bring about true happiness and because of that it creates a sense of urgency and there is a very there's a very nice stories around that and so the buddha was speaking to a king and the buddha told a story to the king the buddha said your majesty imagine this imagine that the scouts from the south came and say your majesty the, the mountains from the south are moving towards us and scouts from the east, west, and north, they all say the same thing. All the mountains are moving towards us. So very soon, or eventually, the mountains will crush you to death. And there's nothing can do about it because mountains are coming from all sides. So eventually, you will die. What do you do? And the king said, oh, this is bad. In that case, I will, I will practice, I will meditate, I will, be, I will be good to everybody for the rest of my life. <laughs> and the Buddha said, how is that different from your eventual death? Right? So when we think about being crossed by mountains, then we think about you know, doing good and so on, right? being compassionate. But in fact, it's already happened. But I mean, already happening because we all die, but we are complacent about it. So, so be, being aware of, of eventual death, being aware that there's no satis- true, true happiness in uh, sensual desire, mm. uh, that brings about urgency. Uh, however, there's a downside of it. So what's the downside? <laughs> So uh, again, there's a story, right? So this was early during the Buddha's teaching career. And he started teaching the monks uh, to look at their own body and find like no satisfaction. And again, the technical term is asuba. Asuba means uh, not beautiful, literally means not beautiful. So we look at the body and say, this body, not beautiful. And so uh, the result of that, so the Buddha gave the instruction and then he went on retreat. He came back, he realized monks started killing themselves. Because they were so disgusted with their own body, they wanted to die. And so the Buddha had to teach them. First, the Buddha said, guys, don't do that. Yeah, do that. <laughs> and taught them something else. The Buddha taught them uh, mindfulness of breathing. Why so? Uh, because in mindfulness of breathing, if you practice deep enough, you get into a, a state of mind where you see happiness without conditions. So it's just unconditioned happiness arising in your body and mind. And that uh, is the factor, uh, the technical term is Pasada. So Pasada is uh, the the insight that there is hope. And this hope arises from this this particular insight that there is happiness that is uh, independent of sensations. And these two things, Pasada and Samvega, you, you realize that they have to exist, both exist at the same time. Because if you only have Samvega, you will start killing yourself. 
because everything looks so bleak. If you only have Posada, then you're complacent because everything is great. <laughs> you're all you're happy all the time. <laughs> you know you don't you don't concentrate on your practice and you don't care you don't think about death. And it's a combination of both that will bring about true wisdom and liberation. Mm-hmm. And so the answer to the question, dear friend, about uh, people seeing their uh, neighbor, uh, the bad neighborhood of their mind or not wanting to be there. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you don't want to be there, then you are avoiding the truth. Right? The truth is there is this mind, there is this darkness, and yeah. there is this suffering. Right. But of course, if you only see that, then you see your pain. Then you want to basically you want to die. So there has to be balance with uh, pasada, the aspect of practice where you see the joy coming from the inside. And so, which is why my second book is on that. My second book is about finding inner joy. Yeah. And so, use that practice and then combine it with looking in the bad neighborhood of your mind. Yeah, yeah sorry for the long answer. <laughs> no, 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 no. That, 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 that makes sense. So, I like what you, you, you said about having the balance, you know. Uh, the reason we want to avoid the truth, because we're afraid of what we see, but that's how practice can help us be able to confront that truth is am i getting it right is that is that it uh yes uh also the practice uh it does two things actually the first thing is it stabilizes your mind in in the in the container of joy so that you can see the truth without being like uh being overwhelmed by it Right. And the second thing it does is it develops a high perception resolution, a high resolution perception, right. so that you can see the truth even more clearly than before you start meditating. Right, right. And what gives, uh, the, in a certain way, you one needs courage as well to be able yes. to confront, to confront that. How does one get courage to be able to have this balance of this, the mind? The resolution. Where does one get that courage from? Mm-hmm. Uh, so the the short answer is one step at a time. <laughs> I like that. Uh, the, the slightly longer answer. Uh, I tell you again, if I don't mind, I can tell a story. Yeah, please. I and, know how you love stories. <laughs> so this story is about myself, right? So uh, the first class of Search Inside Yourself wasn't taught by me. It was taught by uh, Norman and uh, Norman Fisher and uh, Admiral by Bush. And so uh, Norman, uh, so this was the first uh, SIY run and this was the last class. And Norman did uh, a practice called uh, Tonglen, which means uh, taking and receiving. And the practice is taking in suffering and I mean, receiving suffering and giving out joy, right? So uh, it's a visualization practice, and he says, so visualize, pretend that the suffering of people are black, gooey, disgusting stuff coming out of their bodies. Just pretend, right? And then you just, you just as you breathe, you breathe in all that disgusting gunk, and then as you breathe out, you breathe out light. So you give them light and joy and hope and, and love and compassion. And he said, do that. And, and at first I said, I can't do that. This is, this, this is so hard. But because Norman asked me to do, I do because he's my teacher. So I did that. I I breathe in. So I breathe first. We breathe in our own suffering. We breathe it out, and we breathe out other people's suffering. Breathe it out. And after we did that, the, the, the practice lasted ten minutes. And after we did that, I find my self confidence uh, uh, suddenly had a quantum leap. 
Mm-hmm. And and over time, I realized that this increase in self confidence was permanent. Right. Like Ten minutes of practice, and it was permanent self confidence in- increase. Like what happened? And what happened was that during my willingness to breathe in the disgusting gunk mm-hmm. of other people and myself, I that there's a part of my fear of suffering that went away. Just a little bit, maybe the ten twenty percent, but the ten twenty percent is perceptible and it's life changing. Right. And so, uh, so the answer to your question uh, is the the courage comes from it. It comes from becoming willing to uh, see suffering, to and I mean to to experience suffering uh, a little bit at a time. So that suffering wasn't much. It was just the visualization of disgusting gunk. <laughs> Right. So, so, so that's the first uh, quantum, and then maybe uh, over time a little bit more quantum, right? So, for example, uh, as you get more confident, I like to, to encourage uh, you as in the listeners to go a little bit beyond your comfort level. So, uh, maybe the next thing beyond comfort level, when you listen to a friend, when the friend talk about her suffering, is to actually experience it in your body. Mm. Right. Because so normally when you you hear a friend, a friend say, "I'm I'm going through this, I'm going through that, so much suffering," and your instinct is is to try to block it in your body. <laughs> so the change is experiencing the fully in the body. So all this sadness in my body, listening to her story, mm. I experience it. I own it. Right. And it, and over time, I go something beyond that, which is when you see stranger suffering, the own dead suffering. So yeah, a little bit at a time. Every time going slightly beyond comfort level, and ex- being willing to experience suffering. Right, and you, you you're talking about suffering, which is really brings us to these times of COVID nineteen, where we are seeing a lot of suffering in the world. You know, people um, who are sick, um, hospitals don't have you know enough ventilators, at least in our part of the world. But this, it's almost this global suffering that there is and there's nowhere to hide. How do you bring this message to a world that is suffering right now with, 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 with this virus? Where mm-hmm. is the joy as we are talking about <laughs> suffering and joy? What right. would the message be? Uh, the most important thing in dealing with uh, fear is to not let fear overwhelm you. Mm-hmm. And and there's a there's a very beautiful analogy. Analogy is a ship uh, in the middle of the ocean. The ship is surrounded by water, and yet it doesn't sink. Right? Only when water goes in, then it sinks. Right. So so the water per se is not the cause of the ship sinking. The cause of ship sinking is allowing the water to get in. And it's the same with uh, emotion like fear. Experiencing fear is not it, it's not the reason uh, for you to be like this, uh, like to be overwhelmed, to be distraught, right? right. Uh, you only get overwhelmed when you allow it to come in and overwhelm you. Mm. In other words, that there, there exists a state of mind where you can experience fear without losing it. <laughs> yeah. So the question is how. Right. right. And Next question: How? <laughs> uh, if, if uh, again, if nobody minds, I can suggest uh, three steps and then three bonus steps in addition to that. So the three, the first three steps are for everybody. Uh, the first step is to attend to the breath. Right. So if you're in the in the midst of fear, a fearful emotion, just bring attention to the breathing. Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. whatever that means to you. Uh, if you can bring total but gentle attention, uh, which means that there's nothing in the world except the breath. That right. much attention. Which right. is why we start uh, this podcast with bring attention to your breath. You know. Yes, and yeah. Uh, question question is why? What does that do for me? Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you bring attention to the breath, uh, two things happen. The first thing that happens is uh, you start uh, naturally. You you breathe uh, more slowly and deeply, mm-hmm. and by doing that, you activate the vagus nerve. And because you activate the vagus nerve, you activate something called the relaxation response, which is the opposite of the stress response. Right. So you are distressing in real time already. Right. So that that's one reason. So now the other reason. You know why we do that exercise at the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, 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 it gets better. There's another something else happens, which is to re- to worry. You need to be in the future, right? And to regret, you need to be in the past. And when you are bringing full attention to the breath, what happens? You are in the present, and by being the present, you are not in the future and not in the past for that moment. And therefore, for that moment, you are free from worry and regret. And because of free from worry and regret, you are free from fear for the duration of the attention. So it's about this being is, in the present moment. Yeah, and this is very powerful to be to have freedom from from worry and regret, even though it's just for the duration of one breath. Right. So this okay. these are the two things that. So this is step one. Right. Step one, attend to the breath. Step two is to uh, experience the whole body. And then again, you under you, the question uh, an engineer would ask is what what good does that do? <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, when you experience the whole body again, there's a very beautiful Tibetan energy analogy, which is the moment you can see a river, you are no longer completely drowning. Right? Because if you can see, it, that means you're not you're no longer like six feet under the water. That means you're right. like one one foot under the water. So the moment you can see the body. So, so emotions, fear, where are they experienced? They are experienced in the body. So the moment you can fully see the body, you are no longer completely under the control of the emotion. And therefore, that, is a, that allows you the leeway right, to, to get out, to not be overwhelmed. So that is uh, step two. Step three is to calm what is called bodily formations. Uh, the, the technical term is Kaya Sankara. So what are bodily formations? Bodily formations are things that are, are, things that are formed by the body. <laughs> and in this case, it, it refers to tension. And, uh, and so the tension in the, in the head, in the neck, in the chest, and the feeling that you want to throw up in the, in the stomach. So all those things, you calm them down a little, one piece at a time. So these are the three steps to dealing with fear. I would rather not let fear overwhelm you. Right. Right? So you still you still experience the fear, but mm-hmm. it doesn't take over you. So yeah. that is uh, three steps for everybody, and for advanced practitioners like, like Dorothy, and I'm sure there's some of you uh, in this audience as well. I want to suggest three additional steps. Uh, the first additional step is to experience joy. And for an advanced practitioner, you already know how to experience joy in meditation. 
Right. Like nothing bad is happening. You can just ah sit down and enjoy overwhelm your body. So the challenge here is to do it in the middle of experiencing fear. Hmm. And it's actually very hard. But that's where the real practice is. That's where the rubber beats the road. Right. So that's that's the bonus step one. Bonus step two is to experience fully uh, formations of mind. So the technical term is uh, citta sankara. Whatever the mind creates. Just fully experience it. And the reason to do that is to enable step number three. And bonus step number three is to calm down the formations of mind. Mm-hmm. So any thought, just calm it down. Any emotion, calm it down. So these are the, the three steps for uh, and three bonus steps for everybody. <laughs> I'm sure the uh, listeners uh, who are, you know will appreciate that, this idea of not being overwhelmed with fear, as, you, as, as you've said. Um, I know that when you retired from Google um, mm-hmm. five years ago, gosh, time flies. It seems just like the day. <laughs> five years. One of the things you wanted to do was to practice meditation and help spread world peace. Mm-hmm. How has that been in the five years? <laughs> uh, first, the first uh... and, 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 and world peace. Uh, the first, the first short answer is it has been very embarrassing. <laughs> sure, I can. Okay. Uh, so the first embarrassing piece is I I can only like uh, meditate for one hour a day. Uh, so when 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 I started, uh, I wanted to do three hours a day. Like I remember, in, yeah. yeah, like like, yeah, at, like for forever, right? Uh, I sustained that for forty days and forty nights. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, very biblical. <laughs> 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 and, and after 14 days, 14 days I said, I, I can't do that. I, I realized that uh, like, like in the real life, like even if I retired, things mm. happen. Like things need to get done. Uh, so, uh, and if you practice for three hours a day, uh, things just keep getting like delayed, uh, piling up. So I realized that uh, long term, I can sustain only one hour a day. And right. then every now and then, uh, do the, what do you call, uh, do a search. So right now and then I do more than one hour a day. So I go on retreat or I do a two hours a day. But the long term uh, sustainable is one hour a day. Right. So that's that's the first embarrassing piece. <laughs> uh, however, uh, despite being embarrassed by my failure, I do have occasional uh, uh, things that I'm slightly less embarrassed about. And and one is I did uh, manage to get into a state of uh, in in the in the Oh, in the ancient text, they call it called the jhanas, which are states of uh, a total uh, concentration. And I did this during one of the surges. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I could not sustain it in daily one daily life because it takes more than an hour a day of practice to, to get there. Okay. But uh, yeah, but it is it is doable. Uh, so so this is a state of mind where the mind is totally concentrated on the breath to the extent that uh, nothing else matters. Uh, not, there's nothing else in the consciousness and uh, it is relaxing and the mind is totally filled with joy and most importantly uh, there's this there's this uh, uh, experience that there's nothing else in the world I need right now this is enough right. <laughs> this moment I have everything I need and then it goes into the deeper jhanas like the fourth jhana is uh, that total equanimity and because the is did this total, uh, the mind, mindfulness is purified. 
And because mindfulness is purified, you can see things clearly. And because you can see things clearly, you have total wisdom. Right? So, so this is the progression. So anyway, uh, that's that's one thing. Uh, the other thing I do, which I'm not embarrassed about right now, uh, is I managed to spend time uh, learn going into the ancient text. So uh, there is something. There is a collection of ancient texts called the Nikayas, and these are like the earliest teachings of the Buddha. And they occupy something like a I counted number of pages. It's something like between seven to ten times the size of the Bible. <laughs> wow! Which is why nobody reads it. And I read the whole damn thing. Wow! <laughs> and after I read the whole damn thing, I started writing a book about it. So, so that I'm not embarrassed about. Uh, so I'm still writing the book, uh, and I I'm hoping to release it fairly soon. Maybe oh, the wow. year or two. Looking, looking, looking forward to you making it simple because I think that's what you do. You're good at making these complex um, things very simple for 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 people to understand. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I hope so. Right, like in, in language that even I can understand. <laughs> but you've raised something that people always ask me. One is that, you know, does it matter if my practice if I can sit and do the meditation for one hour or I do it for five minutes? or I'm only able to do it for three minutes. What would you say to people worry about that? Say, you know, I, I don't have three hours like men who's doing, you know, three hours or one hour or 30 minutes. Does mm-hmm. the duration of the meditation matter? Uh-huh. Uh, the answer is yes and no. And, uh, and I'll tell you why yes and no. So there are, there are actually two aspects of two aspects of practice. And we, t- we kind of hinted about it uh, as, as we, during a conversation but the two aspects are one is uh, serenity the other is insight right so serenity is what i just talked about which is the state of mind that is total concentration uh, and the mind is calm and the mind is filled with joy and so on and then insight is when you see you see into the true nature of mind and the true nature of experience right so uh, and these two aspects they 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 fit each other Right, so the more serenity you have, the more insight and so on. So it's, they're not kind of, they're not separate. Uh, so in, in terms of practice, when it comes to insight, it's cumulative. So if you have one second or one, one breath, worth, uh, I mean the duration of meditation for one breath. Right. One in-breath, one out-breath is cumulative. So if you only do a lot of one breath, you still get more insight over time. Mm-hmm. So, in a sense, it doesn't matter how long you do it. And also, insight is kind of like, it's kind of like, how do I say it? Uh, it's kind of like a cliff, right? Mm-hmm. You, you do it for a long time, nothing happens, and then suddenly you drop it off. Mm-hmm. Uh, or uh, a, a step function, right? So, so, it's like the wisdom comes suddenly. And for some people, they get it very quickly. Like in a matter of weeks, they develop a lot of insight. So again, it doesn't matter how much meditation you're doing. What does matter is that uh, you bring, you put your full self into it, and then you are open to seeing uh, the truth. Mm-hmm. So that's half the answer. The half answer is no, it doesn't matter how, how long your practice is. The other half the answer concerns serenity. And serenity, uh, in a sense, it does matter. And the analogy is this. Analogy is if you're rubbing two sticks together, in order to get fire, you have to rub them for a certain amount of time, and then and then it starts to, then it starts to warm up, and then it fires 
come and burn, right? So if you only rub it for two seconds at a time, every, then it never catch fire. <laughs> so in this case, the duration actually matters. And when you're doing serenity practice, you find that you go deeper and deeper into uh, into being serene and calmness of mind. Mm. And you find that every time you get out of it, we go back in, you start from scratch. <laughs> right. So, so, so therefore, uh, it actually matters. The duration matters. Okay. And so for, for normal people, I, I say uh, even if you do one breath a day, it's helpful and it could be life-changing. And if you do even 10 10 minutes a day that's i think that's enough to that completely change your life right right thank you i, I really like that and and before we finish you, you you talked about and you've always talked about in your lifetime you'd like to bring world peace in your lifetime mm-hmm. one of the ways mm-hmm. of doing this and you've talked about serenity is really mm-hmm. this practice of breathing and it doesn't matter what religion you are we all breathe and this is something we can we can practice every day. Um, I, I'm, I'm just wondering, what are the obstacles to world peace? And I, mm-hmm. this is something you've been trying to do for a long time now. What are the yes. obstacles, and how can the world, you know, arise, take this, and 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 help in trying yes. to get this world peace? Mm-hmm. Yes. So first, the first part of the of the premise, uh, I'm trying to bring about world peace. I, I want to make a, a small but important adjustment, which is that I'm I'm I say I think somebody has to fail trying. <laughs> right. Right. I mean, it's it's very hard, and whoever tries it is going to fail. And I say, okay, myself be me, <laughs> because because I'm good at failing anyway. <laughs> So, so I'm, I'm trying to, I'm, I'm, uh, yeah, I'm trying to do it, even though I'm, even though I know I'm failing, or, or will fail, but it's important enough that somebody has to do it. So that's me. Uh, and then the question, what is the main obstacle? I think, and I could be wrong. I think the main obstacle is fear. So, so what does that mean? Uh, so you notice that uh, in a lot of times, the main obstacle or the apparent obstacle appears to us. Uh, obstacle to peace is uh, is violence, right? People hating each other, people dehumanizing each other, and so on. And why do they do that? And I think fundamentally it's because of fear. Right? They fear the uh, they fear losing something. They fear other people. They fear for themselves. So, for example, uh, they fear the loss of livelihood, and so they blame it on you know immigrants. Immigrants are coming over to take my job. And because of that fear, it resulted in the hatred of immigrants. Or they hold, they have a certain skin color, and they are dominant in their culture. And then uh, people, others, people talk about diversity, and then they fear the loss of their power. Right. And because of fear, they have hatred. So all the hatred, all the dehumanizing, all the anger, and everything that's opposite the peace, in my opinion, has to uh, originate from fear. And so, therefore, uh, the solution is to uh, deal with fear. And then the question is, how do you do that? What is the source of fear? And I think, I think the source of fear is ignorance or the lack of wisdom. Right. And, and specifically, the lack of wisdom concerning uh, happiness. Right. So we all think, or people have this delusion that in order to be happy, I need to have stuff. <laughs> I need to have wealth. I need to own things, and so on. 
right? And and because of that, then they fear people taking those things away, and then they have hatred. So uh, I think the wisdom is that there is inside all of us, uh, there is an inner resource of joy. And once you can access the inner resource of joy, you find that you have, you are independently happy. And when you're happy, you find that you also have a lot of kindness for people. Mm. And we, the kindness feeds back into the happiness. <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, so I think that's the, uh, the obstacles are fear coming from ignorance. And the solution is to, to solve for fear by solving for ignorance with wisdom. Right. I like that. And on that note, that's a lovely way to, to end this episode um, with kindness. And I think it's just a reminder to all of us in these times of COVID-19 with the suffering around that we call upon the kindness in us, we, you know, and draw it from the joy so that we can make this world a better place. Any parting shots from you, uh, man, before we sign off? Uh, yeah, I just, I just uh, hope this is not a complete waste of your time. <laughs> no, it can never. I think that we are to receiving this, and I hope we can get you again um, to talk more. And if there are questions, I'm going to share them with you. Um, the questions that I receive, and I think this is a conversation that's ongoing. I don't think this is the one and last time we have it. I hope we can have these conversations and that one day you'll come to Kenya. Yes, I'm, I'm always happy to serve. So whatever opportunity I can serve, just let me know. <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much. And thank you for honoring um, the call to just come and, 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 and have this conversation with me on, 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 on this podcast, No Head. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you, dear friend. If you think of anything, just drop a comment on IG, Twitter, Facebook, or on website www.nohead.space S-P-A-C-E Bye-bye for now. See ya.